0: Welcome back to Off the Shelf here on Breadbox Media. I'm your host, Pete Sox, the Catholic book blogger. Today we have with us Father Jeffrey Kirby. He is a senior contributor to the Crux News site. He's also an author with our Sunday Visitor, Ave Maria Press, Catholic Answers Press, and St. Benedict Press, Tan Books. He's a papal missionary of mercy and is a pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indianland, South Carolina. Father Kirby holds a doctorate in moral theology from the Holy Cross University in Rome and a Master of Arts and Philosophy from the Franciscan Monastery, Franciscan University of Steubenville. He serves as an adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College. In 2016, he was recognized by Governor Nikki Haley and granted the order of the Palmetto, South Carolina's highest civilian honor for a service to local communities and young adults throughout the state. In 2020, Father Kirby served as a guest chaplain as a U.S. House of Representatives and led the House in their daily invocation. Today we're going to be discussing his book from Tan Books, Manual for Suffering. Welcome back to the show, Father. Thanks, Pete. It's good to be on the show. So these uh, manuals from Tan are great, so I was pretty excited when I saw that you had one uh, coming out. What brought you to write this particular uh, new offering in the series?
1: Yeah, so at the beginning of the the pandemic, especially when we had the lockdown, a lot of my parishioners were, were asking good questions. You know, why, why is there suffering? Why is this evil happening? How can God, who is all good and all powerful, uh, permit this? Uh, and so on. And and these are great questions. And, and of course, as, as Christians, we have answers. God, God has provided those answers. So I started giving a series of homilies addressing these different questions. and And eventually I realized from all the notes from these different homilies that there was a greater lesson here that might have been a, might be able to serve a, a greater good. So, so reached out to St. Benedict Press and said, you know, would there be an interest? And in our conversation, we decided we would do a whole catechesis, a teaching on on suffering, redemptive suffering, but also provide a second part to the teaching, which would be spiritual resources. Mm-hmm. So that's how the kind the the manual began to to develop. So it came right from the trenches, right from some real questions and some real suffering.
0: Perhaps um, you can give us an overview of what suffering is, and that may sound like a silly question. But in the first chapter, you define these three distinct areas of suffering: suffering caused by natural evils, moral evils, and universal evils.
1: Yes, a lot of times when we talk about suffering, understandably, people go right to the physical sufferings, right. so things of, of our body, or, or on a broader scale, oftentimes we're talking about moral evils. And, and truth be told, Pete, like the moral evils are the easier ones to explain theologically. So it's an abuse of freedom, God honors our freedom, the consequences of an abuse of freedom, of, of sin, affects other people. Uh, these are moral evils. So, you know, this is lying, cheating, stealing, the things that, you know, are regrettably a part of, of a fallen world. But mm-hmm. a lot of times people avoid natural evils. So a lot of the books I read on suffering, and, and I read many of them because I thought maybe someone else has addressed this or, or presented it in, in a better fashion. But I found that a lot of people weren't addressing natural evils, so the things that just happen. For example, pandemics, or hurricanes, or tsunamis, uh, earthquakes, these type of things. Uh, how do we explain those theologically? And then, of course, the universal evils—things that are inflicted upon us that we have absolutely no control over. We're not responsible for things such as war uh, and and the you know nuclear holocaust and these type of things that you know we are affected by. You know, they can cause great harm, even take life, but we have no direct moral responsibility for. So so the tradition tends to break up these three, natural evils, moral evils, universal evils.
0: Mm-hmm. i thought it interesting uh, in the beginning of the book how you pointed out the Ten Commandments and the framework they offer us and their impact on suffering, you know, way back to original sin. Can you give us a bit of an overview on that?
1: Yeah, so if, if I can take us all the way to the beginning of creation, that you know, we forget that the world that we live in is not the world that God wanted for us. So the the fall of our first parents, the fall of our human nature, has had some pretty serious consequences. So at the beginning of time, when, when God created the world and our human nature, uh, we had what our theology calls the preternatural gifts. So those are special gifts given to our human nature. Things like our bodies sharing in the immortality of our souls. So for example, we were never meant to get sick and we were not supposed to die. Or a harmony between our passions and our reason. It means that our our passions always followed our reason. We knew what was right and we did it. We knew it was wrong and we avoided it. And Mm -hmm. it was just natural. It was actually hard to sin. It was hard for Adam and Eve to sin. They had to really work on it. Or for example, infuse knowledge. So if we needed to know something or recall something, we had that readily. So if I wanted to, you know, suddenly go bowling and or Pick up a new, you know, hobby. Immediately, I'd have everything I would need for it, and I would be able to remember that quick recall. So, these gifts that God had given to us were meant to be a part of our human nature. Of course, these gifts are crowned with sanctifying grace, which is a direct friendship with God, being a part of His family. That's the world that God wanted for us, mm-hmm. and it was sin that caused all kinds of chaos in the midst of our world. So the spiritual masters describe it as, imagine, like a beautiful temple. It's ornate, it's it's beautiful, it's spectacular. And someone throws a grenade into the temple, and and the walls sustain the blast, but everything inside the temple is thrown into chaos or discord. And that's what sin did to our human nature and to our world. It caused all the discord that we are familiar with now. So St. Paul rightly tells us in his letter to the Romans, the wages... The cost of sin is death So I just like to compare and contrast Just for us to understand The world that God wanted for us As opposed to the world that Our sin has has disfigured Mm
0: -hmm. And you know Kind of dovetailing off that a bit I think the biggest thing for Us to remember and particularly Those experiencing trials of any uh, Any nature is As you point out on that chapter On the fall from grace That there is always hope
1: Amen. Amen. So even as God our Father allowed for, for great discipline, so you know, the world has fallen into, into this discord. This, this is why we have natural disasters. Our, our nature is fallen, so our passion, passions wage war against reason and, and right judgment. That you know, all this happens, and, and, and as, as God allows this discipline, in the midst of it, He gives hope. He gives the first promise of a Savior that the uh, the woman will come her son her offspring will crush the head of the serpent uh, he will be victorious but the serpent will strike at his heel so even with the message of hope we see in this prophecy that the messiah when he comes the savior when he comes he is going to be a wounded savior he is going to bring redemption through suffering for the serpent will strike at his heel so meaning this gives us a context for the suffering that we are allowed to endure in this fallen world, that the suffering is meant for our salvation and the salvation of those around us, mm-hmm. And it comes from hope that, that hope that God gives us that, that despair will not win, that the darkness does not define us.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, another thing you touch upon in a book, I think is a big one is, is fear. Um, I mean, it, it, we've seen a lot of it in this pandemic. Um, and even in the secular world, we have heard the infamous words, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. But fear can be a hard thing to put in check, especially when we're facing any form of suffering, whether it be physical or, as you said, natural. So how can we effectively manage fear, so to speak?
1: Yes, I think that you know, we begin to realize why there is fallenness and why there is suffering. And we realize that Jesus has redeemed us through suffering. That means that we can now unite ourselves to him as we suffer. So so just for us to understand that my suffering, me, one person, in the midst of billions of people on this planet, countless, countless of people, the generations of human history, that I can unite my sufferings to those of Jesus Christ, and they now have infinite value. So I can look at my suffering and say, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is value. So what was an evil has now become a good, a possibility for goodness in Jesus Christ. So when I have fear, I know that I can unite myself with Jesus, the man of suffering. The Lord redeemed us through suffering. He has immense credibility. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I can draw close to him. I can rely on the help of his grace. I can use the consolation of his sacraments. I can turn to him in prayer. I can turn to fellow believers. So the life of fear is powerful, but God has given us the possibility of overcoming that fear by His grace and by the means that He's given to us. And I just think it's powerful, this whole concept of of redemptive suffering, that as Christians, for us to understand the power we are given by our baptism to unite our sufferings with the infinite, all-powerful sufferings of Jesus Christ. And He allows us, He invites that. And that by doing that, we can work out our salvation and the salvation of others. Mm-hmm. so in terms of when fear wants to kind of attack we can we can readily uh, uh you know fight against it and and, and propel it away from us uh, by the hope and by the the grace of god mm.
0: you you include a very what i say large chapter on what the bible has to say about suffering and in one particular account i like to focus on is Perhaps an obvious one, and that's Job. Um, now, for someone that suffered and and can give us a lesson in in suffering, it's Job. So, what can we learn from that book?
1: Yes, and Pete, I'm glad that you you highlighted that that whole section from the scripture because you know for people to understand, like the the first part of this manual is is you know teaching. It talks about the theology of suffering, redemptive suffering, but but really the second part of the manual that, that begins with these selections from scripture you know, are are meant to be resources that, mm-hmm. that we can actually rely on, because I would never tell someone this is what we're called to do and then not give them the means to do it. So the wisdom of the church, the spiritual treasure of the church is, is vast. And, of course, it begins with uh, the sacred scripture. So, so in terms of the book of Job, we see, of course, this man is allowed by God to endure all these terrible evils you know, with himself, his children, his family, his his, his temporal well-being. Everything, everything is taken from him, he loses everything. His friends put him, you know, Hades in terms of, oh, you must have done something, you should repent, and so on, and back and forth between these different friends. And finally, Job just takes it before the Lord and says, you know, you know, basically, woe is me. And the lesson we can draw is God's response. So this begins around chapter 38 in the book of Job, where God says, basically, to Job, you know, you little man, like, you know, <laughs> who who do you think you are? Like, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth, or the oceans and its beasts? Like, where where were you when I created the the, the stars? Like, you, you you know, almost to the point of putting Job in his place. You have no idea of the role or the role your suffering is going to play in my providential plan. And and God responds with His omnipotence as an invitation for Job to trust Him. And Job is humbled in, in a powerful passage. Job says to the, to, to, to the Lord God, um, In the past my ears heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Mm-hmm. And he draws closer to God and God's able to bless him. And I just think that that response of faith, it's not that Job's, got, Job's life got easier as he had this conversion, or that Job's life became more comfortable as he suddenly said, I need to draw closer to God. It was through his sufferings that he was able to come closer to God. And I think that for each of us in different ways, there's some great wisdom there that we can all draw from in our own sufferings.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, that you touched upon it there, but I think those examples that you've included in a book are something that people, you know, really need to, to kind of springboard and pull themselves up out of their own suffering. And not only did you include scripture, but you include examples and some quotations of the saints and one that jumps out at me is elizabeth Ann seaton and maybe because of geographic uh, closeness to emmetsburg maryland here but she experienced an incredible loss she lost family and, and and family to disease when she was over here she lost friends during her conversion and um what what does she have to tell us about suffering
1: yes i um mean you know, what's good about St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and, and you can see it throughout the different quotes in that part of this manual, is that each of them saw as an opportunity to give the Lord a gift, the gift of suffering, to be united with the Lord Jesus, and to use it as a type of impetus in terms of their own service to others. So I think in all the lives of the Holy Ones, depending on their circumstances and their particular talents or resources, like we see this response to suffering. I'll tell you this, Pete. In working on that part of the manual, the one thing I did not find in any of the lives of the holy ones—not one—was the concept that suffering stinks, and you should stay away (laughs) from it, and and you should avoid it at all costs. I I could not find not one saint or holy person to say that, right? And and what's powerful about that is we just realize that as we grow closer to the Lord, and this is the crucified Lord, this is the one who redeemed us uh, through suffering— that if we're going to grow in holiness and we're going to grow in our relationship with God, that we have to be willing to accept the cross. We have to be willing to suffer with Christ.
0: Yeah, and then we come to another another saint you include, and it's one that many of us are familiar with, and that's Mother Teresa. I mean, she lived and worked and was surrounded by suffering uh, every day. Um, In a situation like that, how do we— I mean, she's a saint for a reason. But in a situation like that, how do we deal with that? I mean, to be surrounded by it every day, and it's not necessarily just your own, but it's everybody else's you're seeing around you.
1: Yes, yes. I think of Mother Teresa in that state, and 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 another saint that's very dear to my heart that that you know had a similar circumstances. I think of Maximin Kobe
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as he was in the Auschwitz concentration camp. You know how to keep that hope and that understanding of redemptive suffering when it appears that everything is suffering everything is darkness uh, there is no hope so whether it's mother teresa in the slums of calcutta whether it's Maximilian Kolbe in, in the concentration camp yeah, and i think in those moments we we see you know such you know just such a focus and, and, and such a um, intensity in terms of you know these holy ones if they could preserve you know that hope and that that redemptive suffering and and, and that confidence in god in these intense areas, many of which we will never, most of us will not experience. Some, mm-hmm. some perhaps, but, but if we can look to that and say, if they could do that in that situation, then then I can find hope in mine. You know, so whether it's someone who's fighting cancer or trying to get through a terrible divorce or struggling with depression or or, or whatever it might be, you know, you know, all all these sufferings in a fallen world, that we can look to these holy ones and find in them. You know, encouragement in our own desire, our own efforts to to preserve hope, to offer up our sufferings uh, to Jesus Christ. So I think when we look at them, we can be moved by the level of suffering that they were surrounded by, Mm -hmm. but also encouraged by the fact that they were models for us in the midst of that darkness of what it, may, what it means to be a Christian, to have hope and to offer up our sufferings.
0: Right, right. And, you know, one more that you included, um, there were multiple, but one more I want to talk about today, is St. Therese of Lisieux. I mean, this is a young lady who was not on the world stage. She was in a convent de- dealing with her daily life, but she had, you know, suffering as well. You know, she she had people making fun of her she had physical and mental suffering in the convent and perhaps she's probably one of the better examples um for your daily um day-to-day person because of just how normal she was
1: absolutely absolutely and 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 to think that at the end of her life uh, god allowed her to experience um even profound Uh, spiritual suffering so in addition to you know the social suffering and and her own physical ailments uh, which became very severe as as she reached her mid-20s god also allowed her to experience immense spiritual suffering saying to her that he would allow her to undergo undergo the darkness that an atheist feels so Mm -hmm. the person who completely denies the existence of god and it was so profound that Therese actually when she was coughing blood from her physical ailments Took the blood and on the wall next to her bed, wrote out the creed in her blood, and said that it would be the creed that would be the most attacked beliefs, and that she offered up her sufferings for the perseverance of those of faith. So this this is a level that many of us, again, will not get to, but we can hear these stories and 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 find confidence in in our own sufferings and and encouragement in order to continue to hold on to that hope and, and to, you know, to give this redemptive suffering. So I think Therese is a, is a great one on many levels, the day-to-day sufferings as you've indicated, and then God allowing her to undergo these immense sufferings, especially mm-hmm. of the of the soul, uh, towards the end of her life.
0: And we've kind of touched upon this a bit throughout our time together today, but there's this elephant, elephant in a room. Um, we've dealt with a, a pandemic. Uh, hopefully we're coming out of that. It appears that we are. Um, and there's been a lot of suffering and loss throughout this pandemic. Um, there's families that have lost family members. There's people that have contracted COVID and are still dealing with long-term effects of that. What are some things they can do and how can this particular book help them?
1: Yes. So uh, it's interesting because when we had the come up with the name of course this is one of a series of of manuals as, as you described from Pam books but i really like the idea that we kept the term manual that this is going to be a manual for suffering because i didn't want people to think this is just a book oh you read this and put this on your shelf and and of course that the leather binding and so on is is mm-hmm. meant to you know very much show this is a book that we want beaten up we, we want this to be thrown in the consoles of cars and purses and back pockets uh know this is a book that's meant to be really like a a field manual in the trenches of life and 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 so i think the book can help it gives you know clear biblical teaching which is a lamp to our feet in the midst of darkness it gives you know widespread spiritual resources we talk about the scriptures the lives of the saints and then you go on to that second part in the book there's novenas and litanies and prayers Mm -hmm. from the treasury of the church to help us so this is really meant to be kind of a, a companion guide, a, a real manual, you know, in the trenches as, as we try to get through suffering, either our own or we're, we're you know, walking with a loved one who's suffering, you know, or or just looking at the suffering of our world and, and experiencing some some bewilderment. Uh, you know, this book has uh, the answers given to us by God in the sacred scriptures and the lives of the saints, and this book can definitely help people to walk through those dark valleys. Mm-hmm.
0: Father, it's always a joy to spend time with you, and, and thanks again for another great book and uh, some more of your time. Where can people find the book Manual for Suffering?
1: Yeah, so the, the best resource is uh, the publisher, uh, TAN Books, but it's also available through Amazon and, of course,
0: to any local Catholic bookstore. All right, and again, Father, thanks again for taking time out of your schedule and spending with us. Any closing thoughts? Uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Pete, Ask God's blessings upon all of have heard this and pray that they find great hope in the kingdom. With that, listening to Off the Shelf, your own Redbox Media, I'm your host, Pete Sox, and Catholic book blogger. Until next time, God bless.